Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news and tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, you can hear Tech Radio on RTE Friday evenings or anytime you like, of course, with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Google or Spotify. And of course, we keep you up to date during the week as well, every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters. You can grab them for free at the website techcentral.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is episode 862 and joining me as always is our Editor-in-Chief, uh, Niall Kitson. Niall, celebrating this week. Celebrating loads. Celebrating Easter, celebrating for one. The, the celebrate Easter and da-da-da and all that kind of stuff. But I think the three words uh, that are going to bring a lot of joy to people, especially in the tech and the working from home uh, side of things, is right to disconnect. Right to disconnect. Now, I'm. Let's let's not get too nuts over this because there have been laws passed in France and even New York. I think has something quite similar. But the hmm. the idea, and this is part of the European Digital Single Market idea as well. So this isn't something that's been plucked out of the ether. This is sort of a, a tried and tested idea. But it's a, a new code of practice published by the government, and hmm. it basically says that you know. Out of hours, you know, you do not have to reply to emails. That's that's it. Once you leave the office, you your time is your own. You do not have to respond immediately to any okay. communications outside normal working hours. And this equally applies to WhatsApp messages and text messages, etc. that come in on your mobile phone. Mm, yes. And it's it's all kinds of employment as well, whether you're mm. working from home or still based in an office uh, when things sort of lighten up. Um, and yeah, it looks like the 7th of May is when submissions uh, will be sort of finished for, you know, mm. uh, ideas to how to actually implement this. But uh, I think it's it's been a long time coming. So at the moment, then, it's a code of practice is what you said. Now, code Mm. of practice strikes me as being the kind of thing where, ah, now, lads, here's the idea. (laughs) Yeah. But there's no actual enforcement behind it. Yeah, not yet. It's it's basically, here's the idea, um, and it's kind of up to... uh, up to individual companies to take it up at the moment. Mm. Uh, And if you've got a complaint, well, you can take it to the Workplace Relations Commission. uh, And that's that's where things go at the moment. And I think what happens when it gets to the, if it gets to that level or if it ever got into a courtroom, uh, they would refer to, well, the code of practice is generally seen as, and Mm. they would just use it as a standard more than anything else. It's not law, but it's kind of like this is... is There's no legislation uh, behind Mm. it. If you want to contribute towards the consultation process on on the legislation, uh, Mm. send the bay. That's your your deadline. I believe uh, not only is the right to disconnect in that um, legislation that they're putting together that they're looking for responses from the public, but also uh, a right to remote working, which is the opposite to the right to disconnect. <laughs> in some ways, well, sorry, you know, no, 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 but you know what I mean. In, in certain respects, I mean, it's this has been part of the um, digital strategy that was revealed, was it the end of February or was it actually earlier this month? It was sort of the grand vision for public services where Mm. I think the idea was 
20% work from home time. Mm. Uh, amongst other things, and that the public sector would be leading the way in terms of uh, work from home. Uh, so it meant things like having the appropriate uh, equipment, having the appropriate, um, you know, say seating, that kind of mm. thing that you, you are able to replicate uh, a proper office in a, in a home environment. So, you know, you, to make sure you are you are properly equipped and you have the proper social and managerial supports in place as well. Well, I think that's going to be a huge part of it. And the world is just, it's all changing around us at the moment, okay? So it, it, we're not anywhere near that. But I think in the future, I think the right to disconnect is absolutely so vitally important. You need to turn off from work. Uh, the right to remote working is interesting, all right? Because mm-hmm. you have an employee who says, no, I want to work from home full-time or part-time and, and they should be entitled entitled to do that. I hate that word entitled. Oh mm-hmm. God, I hate that word entitled. <laughs> uh, but then I also think that there should be a right to office working. Okay, the you're, very you're reasons, I'm No, I'm not, I'm not, I am flipping this a little, all right? But if you kind of get into this whole thing, right, the right to remote working and the right to work from home, you are right. You should have a proper working environment in your home. So mm. you should have a good desk, you should have a good computer or a laptop or a setup. It should be well ventilated, it should be well lit. Uh, there should be plenty of space there, et cetera, and so on and so forth. But in order to do that, you know, like kind of for many people, our homes are packed enough as it is with partners and cats and dogs and children and, and, and bedrooms that are just messy. Do you know? And now all of a sudden mm. you've got to create a workplace for yourself or work from the kitchen table. Working from the kitchen table is fine for a couple of months during a pandemic. But to be working at your kitchen table for like, would you have liked to have been working from your kitchen table for the last 10 years? Uh, not 10 years, the last, the last they, year. And that's what I I'm talking about. I have been working from yeah. my kitchen table. Exactly. But what I'm saying, when you think about it, for the next 10 years, you're going to work at that mm. kitchen table. It's not a very, you know, kind of a nice. It's not but very I think it's, appealing. It is good, though, that the government are kind of looking at this and they are asking for people's uh, uh, opinions and to shape the legislation. And I'll tell you, if you're kind of listening to this podcast thinking, Duh, sure, you know, what hope have I ever got of changing anything? You would be amazed. I've been involved in legislation before and uh, petitioning the government to change certain things. This is all to, in relation to do with uh, broadcasting and stuff. And I was doing it as a private citizen and a small company of myself. I didn't have the backing of a major broadcaster or radio station or anything like that. And we got changes made. And do you know what? It's quite the fascinating thing when you kind of go, do you see that little clause in the law? That's me. (laughs) (laughs) So if you do have an opinion regarding the right to remote working, or as I say, the right to office working or the right to disconnect, uh, absolutely. Just have a look on, uh, just do a Google search and and you'll find it in there. You've gone to May 7th to get it in. But another kind of tie on from that uh, whole thing this week, and it amused me greatly when I saw the headline, was that they want to turn pubs into remote working hubs. That's, that's, well, I mean, you know, if it works for Starbucks. <laughs> Instead of having a coffee, have a, a pint plane there beside you. Well, that's it. People go in and they buy their token coffee and they sit there for two hours with it, uh, making use of the free Wi-Fi and getting stuff done. 
Oh, is there such a thing as free Wi-Fi anymore? Well, yeah, it's a a carrot to bring people in and get people to stay as long as possible. Mm. Um, Yeah, so uh, I, I... you know, it's it's another example of rethinking what we are as a country. And the pandemic has reconfigured how we're seeing the world of work, how we're seeing everything around us. And yeah, if we have to start seeing pubs differently as something that, you know, you don't go into and necessarily enjoy a night out as, as you know, a local facility that is useful all the way throughout the day and doesn't necessarily have to rely on barflies to uh, to keep going. Did Why I say not? something controversial? No, you didn't. But you actually, no, you actually said something that makes sense. That a pub should be a facility all day round. And in my head, I always think of pub as being a place where you go in, in, in the evening. But yeah, what if it did have a different use during the day other than just pure drinking or food or whatever it happens to be? Yeah. You also uh, mentioned uh, you also mentioned the the virus and everything mm-hmm. that's going on at the moment, uh, which leads me on to another news story of the week, and that is uh, digital vaccine passports. All the rage now. Okay, here's here's a few thoughts. Right, uh, on one level, vaccine passport, fantastic, very much in favour of it because it means that you should be able to go absolutely anywhere, do absolutely. I mean, the normal stuff that we did yeah. pre-pandemic, right? I mean, that's that's the point of it. Uh, and I think that's great. Uh, however, to what extent is it secure? Uh, and how easily can they be forged? That's my question. And then also, what kind of information is in it? Because literally, if you're just kind of, if you were holding up your phone with an app that just goes, yeah, I've had the vaccine. Well, I mean, that, that's that's not a huge amount of personal information to be telling somebody. Hmm. I had a test or I had a vaccine and that proves that I had. So on the privacy side of things, but if it has your name and it has your date of birth on it, or maybe it has your address or a, a PPS number or goodness knows what else. Yeah, that would be a little bit like, you know, that's 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 too much personal information is what I would think. Um uh, it, it's interesting what they're doing in New York because when you're talking about personal information, they've got it. They're launching a, an Excelsior Pass in in New York, and this is an app on the phone. And as you would expect, it's kind of got a QR code and a little bit of a, a information on there. But the whole app is built using blockchain and encryption, which okay. I think is really interesting because you've got the whole privacy side of things, okay? So blockchain, you've got the, the public ledger, which has got X amount of information, but unless you have the private key to go with it, you know nothing. Mm-hmm. So I think from a security point of view and a privacy point of view, it's very good. And it also means that you can't copy it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a very interesting. Uh, also on the side of people doing passes and stuff like that. There's lots of various countries in the world and they're all coming up with their own version of this pass and that pass and that and so on and so forth. The one other one that I was particularly interested in this week is the uh, IATA, who are kind of like the representative body for all of the airlines. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing out a travel pass. And I think that is the only one true international thing. You know what I mean? Because no matter what mm. airline you get on, you need to have that app in yeah. order to say that you've been vaccinated and you can fly. 
Mm, okay, so it's it's an iOS or an Android app. It's sitting on your phone. Of course, mm. you, you've got to develop it for all platforms, really, don't you? Mm. And maybe it's just a QR code or something like that. Uh, but it's it's linked to a blockchain. Um, yeah, basically saying, "Yep, this is whoever their grand." Mm-hmm. It's essentially uh, of yes or no. You've got your you've got your passport and you've got your ticket as well. So there there's two further you know, uh, forms of ID to verification, to two factor authentication, they call it now. <laughs> It'll be big. Um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Uh, I, I'm, I'm on, mm. pardon the ex, uh, expression, I'm on board with it. Mm. But what happens if you either have a dumb phone or a Windows phone? Because there's still some <laughs> of those in the world. <laughs> Not everybody does have a phone. Or Tizen, uh, which is, uh, which of course is, um, is the Chinese one or is that Samsung's one or Huawei's one? Huawei's you see, one, th- this it? is where you kind of get into and there's the difficulty with anything in life. You can look after 90% of the people, no problem. Mm. And it's the other 10% who are always, but and look, do you know what? That's their problem. I ain't worried. Yeah. They can I, go I, back I, to uh, what they did. Yeah. I, I think, think mobile apps are, are definitely a, a, mm. a fantastic way to do it. Yeah. And uh, they can go back to what they did years ago. I was looking into this when I first heard that you needed a passport or something. I was like, what, 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 privacy, what, don't be giving me more paper. You might use your grouchy self. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked into it then and realised that actually these things have been around since the 1930s. All no. right. Uh, yes, uh, because they had a you had to have a card to show that you were vaccinated or inoculated against uh, cholera, uh, typhus, uh, smallpox. There was another one for yellow fever, which was which was very famous because you had to have a yellow card. They printed the darn card in yellow to yeah. to really kind of ram home the point. And all it did was it just said this person has had that vaccination, and you needed it to travel. And mm. even today, before. COVID-19 hit us since uh, because yellow fever would still be very big in uh, in Africa or would be a worry in Africa. Anyone you know traveling to Africa is like, have you had your jabs? And I remember seeing that in Nigeria, I think for the last two years, so it's before COVID, that anybody traveling from to or from Nigeria needs to have an e-yellow um, pass mm. in order to get in or out of the country to say that you have had your jab for uh, for yellow fever. Right. Oh, right. There's, plenty, there's plenty there. Listen, uh, one more thing before we get into our interview this week. Uh, Apple, uh, we've kind of got a little bit of good news and a little bit of bad news. A, l- a little bit of good news. And actually, this is another EU hobby horse when it comes to the digital single market, which is the right to repair. Uh, because we all own so much gear at the moment. Um, and thankfully, we, we have the Wii directive where, you know, you go and buy something and you're, you're basically... You're, you can replace what you have with with a new version of it, so you're not um, you're not clogging up your house with you know gear you don't need, or you're not dumping uh, gear you don't want. That not, might be anything wrong with it. You've just upgraded to a to a new version uh, or whatever. So Apple have been famously cagey when it comes to the repairability of their products because uh, they see the whole thing as a function of design. So you know they're their motherboard integrates with their keyboard in a very specific way. And, you know, everything is of a piece and you can't fix one thing without ruining something else. So you Mm. you have to do things the Apple way and send it to one of their, um, you know, accredited stores uh, or bring it into one of their own stores 
uh, and they'll take it away and they'll have a look at it and they'll either fix it if you've got Apple Care or they'll quote you, you know, a price, but there's no competition. No competition mm. whatsoever. So you're you're kind of stuck with the Apple way, and you know that Apple pricing is it's it's centrally set. You know, I mean, there, you, there's no <laughs> yeah. there's no such thing as an Apple bargain as set such, everything you know? set everything to maximum. Everything, yeah. So uh, what has been what they've decided is uh, they've introduced a, a program that was piloted last year in uh, the United States, Canada, the usual suspects, and uh, they introduced a cert- certification program for third parties, right? So you would finally be able to get somebody that isn't in an Apple store to fix your iPhone uh, and not have it void your Apple Care or anything like that, right? So they're making available um, the c- a certification and the parts to go off and you know, do so this you properly as a third party. Many of the uh, mobile phone repair places that we'll see around uh, around town, and of course, very few of them are actual Apple, um, mm. but you can go to any one of those and they will use genuine Apple parts to repair your iPhone. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Lovely. When does this start? <laughs> well, well, it depends where you live. Uh, and and I'll, I'll tell you where it's happening where you're not living. <laughs> <laughs> this this merry little country of ours. I went through the list of, oh of countries goodness. where it's happening. Um, and Apple saying, you know, ultimately we expect 200 countries around the world. You know, we're not there. <laughs> it's a huge list. And, and Ireland is such an important country for Apple with so much money flowing through. And of course, the connection with Cork and the factories and everything like that. And we're not mm. on the list. We're not on the ah. list. It's, it's shocking. ridiculous. They're Absolutely probably, shocking. Yeah. I'm sure we will, though, one day in good one time. Day, we yeah. One day indeed. All right. Do you know Listen. what it is? Do you know what, what is this it? is? They looked at the amount of Apple Care subs that have been sold in Ireland and went, not enough. We <laughs> want more people to buy Apple Care. <laughs> now, and in and Apple's defense, I will say I had a problem with uh, one of my, my MacBook Pro and I brought it into uh, one of the official Apple repair places and they said, yeah, that's under Apple Care. It uh, needs a new screen. Uh, we'll have it done for you uh, tomorrow morning. Come back and collect it. Boom, came back and a brand new screen and everything put into it. I was delighted. Mm. So it's worth it. It can be worth it. It's expensive, but it can be worth it. Anyway, now, thank you very much as always for keeping us up to date with what's happening in the news. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Electric Ireland is currently rolling out smart meters across the country. But what are the benefits to you and I as the consumer? Bidgley is a Silicon Valley-based company that uses AI to track your energy usage and its software will be used to handle the smart element of these new devices. Niall Kitson spoke with Bidgley's Chief Business Officer Gotham Agarwal to find out more. So Gotham, uh, Bidgley is a company based out in Silicon Valley, not necessarily a a brand name known uh, over here in Ireland. So tell us a little bit about what, what your company does. Absolutely, Niall. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me uh, for this uh, podcast. And then, you know, excited to be here. And so uh, if you look at Bidgley as a company, uh, absolutely, we are based in Silicon Valley. And uh, at the heart of what we do uh, is a lot of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, from a technology standpoint. And that is the basis of what we are doing to say, if I can apply AI and machine learning to all the energy data we have, 
then how can we really get those valuable outcomes where the likes of Electric Island, who we are working with uh, and very, very proud to be working with, they can actually go and provide some good insights to the customers, uh, make it more personalized, uh, and then I can, at the same time, be able to go provide the right recommendations. So as a company, uh, it's all about uh, how you can fingerprint all the energy appliances at your home, be able to get insights in those uh, fingerprints, and then be able to apply the tech of AI and machine learning on top of that to really get the insights out of that. So that's how we look at Bidgley as a company, uh, as an energy analytics company and an AI and machine learning company. So, and uh, I mean, all these smart meters that, that are slowly being rolled out uh, in Ireland at the moment, I think 2024 is when uh, sort of the project is, is meant to end, when everybody will, will have a smart meter in their household. So how will regular appliances then connect to the smart meter before being processed uh, by uh, your platform to start getting insights out of it? Because I, I imagine you're not going to get a, a full picture uh, immediately as with, as with all things AI, it, it does take time to become more accurate. Absolutely, Niall. I think that's a great point. So uh, if you look at uh, our traditional meters, uh, the non-smart meters, uh, typically they provide the data on a, on a daily basis. So I get a fingerprint of all the different appliances at home, whether it's my refrigerator, <clears throat> my washer dryer, my laundry systems. Uh, I get those fingerprints on a daily basis. With smart meter, uh, what happens is the sampling of the data uh, is at a much shorter interval. It's a 15-minute or a 30-minute or a 60-minute interval. So first of all, the, the sampling is at a shorter interval means you are getting a much more modular or much more in-depth fingerprint of every appliance. And then to your point, it takes a few days uh, for you to be able to go aggregate each of those fingerprints and say, okay, uh, the based on what this sampling data is telling me of 15 minute or 30 minute, I can actually see that this is a refrigerator, this is a laundry system, this is your kitchen appliances, or this is your electric vehicle. Uh, so I can actually see those fingerprints and then be able to go and provide insights uh, to the uh, end customer uh, working through uh, Electric Island. So that's how we are doing it. Wow, that's fascinating then. So, so you basically know already roughly what a refrigerator looks like, what a washing machine looks like, what a, a light switch looks like. And you can sort of ex- extrapolate that from the kind of information, the kind of usage information that you're seeing. Yeah, because Niall, uh, if you look at Bidgley as a company, we are a global company and we are working with 30 plus utilities around the world uh, globally. And we are actively uh, serving 24 million homes around the world. So there's a lot of ground truth uh, you're able to collect over the period of years where you can actually see what the fingerprints are telling me, what the sampling data is telling me from smart meters. And so you are actually able to go provide a lot more accuracy around each of those appliances and the time they are running in and the kind of energy they're consuming. So you're absolutely right. It's a combination of what you've been doing as a company for so many years, and that becomes your way of driving more accuracy with smart meter data. I imagine that lets you create an incredible bank where you would be able to see even the generation of particular appliances. For example, you'd be able to go, okay, that's clearly a fridge from 20 years ago because that's that's the energy usage there, and that's uh, that's uh, an inefficient footprint. In fact, in fact, I'll give you an example of that one. Uh, I have two refrigerators at home, uh, and so right now, uh, when we are actually collecting the sampling data, it's easy to fa- it's easy to find one fingerprint based on the ground truth you have. But then again, if I have a second refrigerator which nobody knows, and I can start seeing that sampling data, as you rightly said, over the over the days, I'm like, okay, uh, I only see the one refrigerator. I see the, the laundry systems, but why is the second sampling data showing me another refrigerator uh, coming up over here? And that actually creates a lot more accuracy uh, based on what you know that 
you're not actually misjudging that data and saying that yeah this is a second refrigerator now when i go back to gotham as a as a consumer and you tell hey gotham you have two refrigerators at home i'm like wow uh bijli knows i have two refrigerators at home and at what time they are running in and the second refrigerator is 20 years old and the compressor has gone bad and that's what is costing me a lot more energy this is incredible so to your point uh, that's how your ground truth and being there for so long and being able to apply your tech really works in your favor where you now get consumers attention and they are ready to go work with you to say okay bijli i trust you i understand what you're doing and uh, you thank you for letting me know time to go buy the uh, a new refrigerator uh, because the first one has gone bad Part of engaging with any sort of new technology or any sort of data that you're getting fed back to you is making it palatable to uh, digest and, and act upon. So to which extent do you think the user experience uh, impacts on how people end up changing their behavior? I think, uh, Niall, uh, it plays a major role. Uh, we as consumers, uh, I think we are living in such a digitally connected world right now that for you, me, for you or me or even anybody else to get that attention span going, uh you have to be first of all very transparent with the users and if you if you look at electric island i think that's the that's the overall commitment they're looking to go drive with the consumer to say i'm going to be very transparent then transparency then leads to more insights to say how can i now pick up the smart meter data and provide better insights to you uh become make it more itemized it's almost like a credit card bill or your telephone bill where uh, you're not actually looking at an aggregate number to say oh wow uh I spent $5000 on the credit card but I have no idea what the breakdown looks like. It's the same thing for your for your uh, home consumption uh, and you have those insights. And then to your point from a user experience standpoint you have told me that okay you have my attention you've given me the insights how can I convert those insights into personalized recommendations? Hey Nile I think uh, you are in the wrong time plan uh, on the wrong pricing plan or the wrong tariff plan let me move you or here's my recommendation that you should move to this tariff plan you're going to be able, able to say so many pounds uh, uh, over the over the months because of the of the right plan because this is where i see you are right now or uh, as you rightly said uh, my second refrigerator the compressor has gone bad uh, nile this is what you can do and you can actually go buy a second refrigerator and here are the recommendations we have where you can buy a, uh, an appliance and you can also save money and i think this is where uh, the give and take between my utility between my energy retailer and as a consumer if that comes in together that creates the best possible elevated user experience i guess one uh, kind of corollary to that example of the the dodgy appliances that you can actually step back and look at these things at at the at a macro level at a city level where you I, I imagine you will be able to look at, you know, parts of a, a neighborhood or a block that are being particularly inefficient in their usage. Um, are you uh, seeing applications of this kind of technology in urban planning, uh, particularly in grid maintenance and development? Absolutely, Niall. I think uh, it's not just the consumer side and how we are actually able to interact and get the consumers to engage. It's also on the grid planning side. for example if i can see all the appliances including my like i have an electric vehicle at home right and if i have a rooftop solar at home i can not only see how much am i consuming i can also see the generation and how much of that goes back into the grid if my rooftop solar is creating access uh, electricity or energy and i'm feeding it back into the grid then from a from a grid standpoint my energy retailer needs to be able to go plan better because if all the 50 homes in my neighborhood put a rooftop solar today and they all start generating energy and they are feeding it back into the grid then electric island as a, as a as a retailer also need to go plan to say how do i come back and basically plan better and do load shipping so that not everything is getting fed back at the same time 
and I can have people uh, working with me where I can put them on a better tariff plan, they can save money, and I can also do a better grid planning. So I think it goes hand in hand. It, getting the consumers to engage leads to a better grid planning. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Bidgley's Chief Business Officer, Gotham Agarwal. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more, which you can grab at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, listen to us each week online or Friday evenings with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, have a fantastic long Easter weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.